Today's reading is from John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The gospel of our Lord. Thank you, Amy. You may be seated. Grace and peace this morning. Why are you even here? <laughs> if there were ever a get out of church free week, it'd be this one. A foot of snow halfway through April, and yet here you are having fought your way out of your garages, armed with scrapers and boots and shovels and maybe even cat litter, you must really want to be here, huh? So stop for a moment. Why did you go through the rigmarole of getting here? What is your heart hungering for that you think is going to get fed in this place? What is it that this place gives you that just couldn't wait another week? I'm actually going to step away from the pulpit and give you time to seriously consider these questions.
Anyone want to share? <laughs> you didn't want me to be by myself. <laughs> Community. Dan? Fill my cup. I'll share my answer, besides the obvious one, which is that I want to continue buying groceries and staying in my house. <laughs> when I was a first-year college student, it was the most change I had ever experienced in my life. Suddenly, I was independent and able to set my own schedule, but I was also in an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people. And I was a teenager, and so needless to say, I always felt a lot of feelings. In the midst of this upheaval, I found myself going to daily chapel. Now, when I say I found myself going to chapel, I mean that it was actually a surprise to me, to my mind, to discover that my body had taken us to chapel. It was like, huh? I walked here? But why? It was though an invisible tether drew me to church. Something within me, flying beneath the radar of my conscious reflection, knew that I needed something that only worship could give to me. And as I worshipped one day, it struck me. Worship was the only place where whatever emotion I was feeling, being in worship gave me a place to name it, place it in the light of God's presence, be assured that I wasn't alone, and given the space to think about where I was headed next. It could be hope on a Monday, insecurity on a Tuesday, a desire to control things on a Wednesday, anger on a Thursday, and general sadness on Friday, and worship would, without fail, be able to speak into what I was experiencing. When I worshiped, I felt connected to myself. But what's more, I felt seen. Seen by the community around me, to be sure, but also in some way seen by God. Like there was actually meaning somehow beneath whatever it was that I happened to be going through. Like this whole existence of mine and the world that we share wasn't in vain. Like I was caught up in something grand and beautiful and the whole thing was bigger than me and yet I still somehow mattered. And that feeling of being seen, that's what kept me going. I kept feeling that invisible tether pulling me to church. I felt drawn there. Do you ever feel that in this place? Like whatever you're going through, this place possesses the ability to speak to you? Or that while you're here, you start to suspect that in some sort of grand cosmic way, you matter and that all existence is beautiful and meaningful and good? 
Do you ever feel like this is a place not that you choose to go to, but that you need to go to, even if it means braving a snowstorm? Like you're being drawn here? I think about that feeling of being drawn as we read this story of Jesus after the resurrection, because I wonder if that's how it feels to be a fish in a net. The Gospel of John, the most poetic and symbolic of the four Gospels, gives us a variety of images for describing the resurrection. We don't have the physical body of Jesus walking and talking around us anymore, so John wants to give us, who have never seen Jesus, signs of what resurrection looks and feels like. The resurrection looks like Mary standing among the graves, hearing her own name called by God. The resurrection looks like Jesus with wounds still showing, speaking peace and forgiveness. And in today's reading, the resurrection looks like a net full of fish. That's how the disciples recognize that it's Jesus, by the way. It's not how he looks. It's not what he says. It's because of a net that is so abundantly full that it outpaces their ability to handle it. What an image for the resurrection. One net that has drawn together all these fish, all that life caught up and connected and swarming with vitality and strength. It's a metaphor, of course, a metaphor for us, for our church, for our whole lives as individuals and as a community. But unlike the fish which are being drawn to their death, we are being drawn in one net so that God can give us life. The resurrection is like a net that draws all the parts of our lives together and all of our lives together as one. So there's 153 fish in this net. Here's the beautiful thing about that. There's some people who think that in Jesus' time and place, they only knew about 153 species of fish. And so this net of resurrection with 153 fish in it is really about God encompassing everything. No fish is off limits. Everything is in that net, and perhaps that's why when I was in college, I felt like I could be at home in church, whether I was happy or sad or restless. It's because God made a place in that net for every part of my experience. God does not shun. God does not exclude. God merely draws everything to God's own self. And then the text tells us this, the net does not break. God's net of resurrection can hold whatever it is you're going through. Whatever it is you brought here this morning, God's net is wrapped around that, and God's net doesn't break. 
promise of resurrection is not that your life is going to feel brand new and happy and full of April flowers or at least April showers and not April snowstorms all the time. The promise of resurrection is that God draws you in and holds you in your deepest sorrows and doubts as much as God draws you in and holds you in your heartiest moments of joy and peace and consolation. God is drawing you in, and that means all parts of you. Resurrection is being drawn to live all of your life honestly and authentically in the presence of God. And here's the beautiful thing about God, is that God doesn't make us wait for that. Resurrection isn't a thing for the last day. God starts that now. Even when things are unclear and unanswered, they are still held in God's resurrection net. That unnamed hunger in your hearts that drove you here this morning, that's already a sign of new life. That hunch you carry that the daily trials of your life matter in some way to the whole universe, and that your wounds and failures and triumphs and wonderings aren't in vain, but are part of some bigger mystery, that's already resurrection at work. The resurrection is the promise that God is present in every part of your life holding you like a net that does not break, and drawing you closer and closer to God's own heart, even when you cannot understand it, and even when you cannot feel it. For God is in the seeking and the finding. God is in the questions and the answers. God is in the fishing at sea and the breakfast on the beach. You are here today, and God's resurrection is in that fact alone. Because resurrection isn't something that, that God only does when a pastor is preaching. Resurrection isn't resurrection unless it means new life for all of life. And so it was resurrection at work in your hearts as you decided to brave the storm this morning. And resurrection is also in the wisdom of those who could not trust themselves to travel here safely today. Resurrection is in all of our hearts as we earnestly long to hear a word from God and to live our lives with spiritual depth and honesty. Resurrection is in the feast the disciples shared with Jesus on the beach, the feast we share at this table here today, and the feasts shared at the tables of Mount Olivet families at home this morning. Resurrection touches every time, every place, everything. And so that means as you leave here, resurrection will be with you as you go, holding every part of you and all of this weary world in the net of God's love, which will not break. Amen.